contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand. I always say I'm going to get some more guests. I got a lot of guests lined up. But this NFL stuff, <laughs> I got to do rants again. I got to do Brant's rants because of what's going on with our favorite friend. I've talked about this guy for a long time here, Antonio Brown, and the latest shenanigans going on there uh, with him, with Drew Rosenhaus, with the Raiders, with the Steelers looking on, with helmet companies. <laughs> It's just an amazing story of, uh, you know, my saying, greater talent, greater tolerance. I'll get to that in a minute. My rant on Antonio Brown. More rants coming about big contracts coming up. Dak Prescott, of course, and what's going on there. And I'll get to listener questions as well in this, another edition of the Business of Sports, presented always by betonline.ag. They're your online sportsbook experts, as you know, exclusive partner of the Podcast One Sportsnet Use that promo code PODCAST1. You get that 50% sign-up bonus today. BetOnline.ag. You know it. BetOnline.ag. My first rant is going to be about Antonio Brown. I think it's important when we talk about Brown to really understand this primary view that I've had for so long. Greater talent equals greater tolerance. But at some point, the tolerance runs out. I said all January, February, March, it's not going to happen. The Steelers, who have put up with Brown for so long because of his talent and renegotiated his contract to the point where it became cap-killing to move him, I said they never do that. $21 million cap hit. Forget about cash. They already paid to him. You can look at that as a sunk cost. But cap-killing, $21 million off your cap for a guy that's no longer there. Think about all the players you could have on your team for $21 million. They probably have 20 rookies making less than that. So 20 players for Antonio Brown's number who's not there. He's in Oakland. So I said it would never happen. And by the way, one of the other top receivers in the league, if not the top, Odell Bickham, who got $20 million cash before the season last year from the Giants, they got rid of him too. So I think the biggest story of the offseason to me is that, you know, while the NBA stars are taking over, the NFL teams are saying it's just not worth it. Yes, greater talent equals greater tolerance, but the New York Giants and Pittsburgh Steelers have decided that they were and are better off without these extraordinary talents. Think about that and let that settle in. That the Saint Steelers and Giants at great cost to their cap and cash, moved on without these special, maybe once-in-a-generation type players. Wow. And that tells you teams are deciding we're just not going to put up with the crap. And what's been on display this last week in Oakland has been, quote, the crap. Now, Listen, you can defend Antonio Brown. He really wants his helmet. He doesn't want to play with whatever approved helmet the NFL and NFLPA have come up with. He's had so much success in the old helmet, but they won't let him play in the old helmet. So he says he's going to retire. Yeah, of course. Good luck with that. And then the feet. You know, I've talked about cryotherapy. Listen, it's been confirmed that he injured these feet in cryotherapy. I I went today. 
I go once or twice a week. Just, you know, I'm, <laughs> what am I, like 25 years older than Antonio Brown? Uh, but I work my body pretty hard, so I try to maintain it with acupuncture, with massage, and with cryo. And I've been to cryo, but they won't let you near that cryo chamber, however many degrees below zero, without protective footing. Crocs, not not the Crocs with little spots in them, but, but sort of covered Crocs, and these heavy, heavy socks. So the idea that he went into a cryotherapy chamber, even if they let him, which is a whole nother legal problem in itself. There will be lawyers, but even if they, if, if he did, it's just amazing to me. And of course, you know, again, my put my team hat on. That's NFI. That's non-football illness. If somehow he couldn't play because of his blistered feet, if that lasted into the season, you could have a case for NFI. But of course, they're trying to make nice. They gave up draft picks. He's their new star, etc. But listen, Mike Mayock, John Gruden, they're pretty no nonsense guys. Gruden's dealt with a lot. They probably can't be too happy behind closed doors. We're never going to see it on hard knocks. Like, what do we get ourselves into with this guy? High maintenance. And of course, greater talent, greater tolerance. He would not be on that team anymore if he was not a great player. They just don't want to put up with that. So, and and of course, back east <laughs> or closer to the East Coast, the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, they're staying very quiet and they've got to be smug. They got to say, well, of course. Of course that's happening. That was our problem for many years. We moved out of it. So no drama in the Steelers right now with Bell and and Brown gone. Of course there's drama in Oakland. And as I record this, tonight it's going to be hard knocks. And, you know, we'll see what happens on it. They should show this. It's like everyone in sports fandom wants sports media to give us more access. Now what I give access to is insights and perspective from being behind that curtain for 10 years or and, and and 10 years on each side of it. But now we want to see it, you know, with social media, it's got to be in video, it's got to be pictures. So we have the dominant story in the NFL off the field happening right there and cameras are there. The question is, will we see it or will it be some sanitized version of it? We'll certainly know that soon enough about Antonio Brown and his helmet and his feet. Last thing on the helmet. This idea that he could reach out through eBay, Amazon, or even Twitter and ask for a helmet that's less than 10 years old that he could play with is asinine. Of course, that's not going to be approved. But if he gets that helmet and the NCOSA or the national whatever that certifies these helmets and the NFL and the NFLPA agree on it, great. Go for it. But the idea that he brought a grievance against the NFL and his own union about using a helmet that's 10 years old. Again, like, you know, Drew Rosenhaus, I feel for him. I'm back in the agent business. I know it's tough. I told my agency, Vayner Sports, I'm not going to deal with all that. You have younger guys dealing with that. Obviously, I'm involved with, as soon as I get certified with high-level negotiations, with high-level recruiting, but certainly that is a tough part of being an agent. Think about Drew Rosenhaus. He's got 100-something clients. This is just one guy. That is... You know, say you want to be an agent, <laughs> you deal with that guy and he's one of a hundred and you're spending all your time on that, the helmet stuff and the feet stuff and dealing with the Raiders and they're calling you saying, can't we just get this guy practicing? What's the problem? All that going on. So my rant of the week is 
Antonio Brown continues to be in the news for reasons outside of football. Now, this idea that he was going to stop playing, of course he wasn't going to stop playing. I will say this. I think he'll play well. I don't know if they'll win. You know, I don't know how good a team they are, but I think Brown will play well. He'll always play well, and he'll practice well. That's not the issue that Mike Mayock, as the GM of the Raiders, is worried about. What about the other 140 hours of the week? How, how is he going to sort of fall in line and be like a team guy when he's not performing on the field? It's just that's what you worry about. That's what the Steelers dealt with all those years, and now they don't. <laughs> they don't deal with it anymore. All right, we'll get to the next rant, which is about Dak Prescott in a minute. But first, a word from The Athletic. They launched that sports business vertical, and they're working with the Business of Sports podcast. This is something that we're doing together, Business Sports Podcast and the Athletic Sports Vertical. So the athletic content is great. It incorporates all kinds of articles uh, with no clicks, no clickbaits, value proposition. It's simple. No ads, no pop-ups, no autoplay videos, subscription-based, smarter sports coverage. It goes beyond the games. It's smarter analysis, deep perspective. And subscribers have full access, national, local, college football, Stories, podcasts, videos, football of all types. Some of the names on there, guys that I know really well, Richard Deitch covering media, Jason Stark on baseball, David Aldridge on basketball. Uh, You've got Pierre Lebrun, of course, on hockey, Seth Davis on college basketball. So all that's going on in the athletic, the athletic sports vertical, sports business vertical aligns nicely with uh, the business of sports podcast. So Go to theathletic.com slash business of sports. You get 40% off a yearly subscription, case sensitive, so it's all small ca- uh, no caps. I'm sorry, theathletic.com slash business of sports for 40% off a yearly subscription comes out to $2.99 a month. Go to the athletic. My next rant, of course, is about the Callous Cowboys. Now, obviously, the three best players on offense are all in the contract negotiations phase at different levels. We have not talked this week, we meaning in sort of the national media conversation, about Ezekiel Elliott. Remember him? He's the one saying he won't play unless he gets a new contract. It doesn't seem like that's going well. He's in Cabo, whatever he's doing, working out there. And the team seems to be ensconced in negotiations, not with him, excuse me, but perhaps with Dak Prescott. And we don't even know what's going on with negotiations for Amari Cooper, who is closer to free agency, which tends to be the ones that teams pay attention to, than either of those guys. Okay, so Elliott's got two years left, and you always have to add on this possible franchise tag. Dak's got one year left and add on possible franchise tag. Cooper has an option year left at a much higher number than Dak, and you have to add on potential franchise tag. So you can make the argument, and I did on Ross Tucker's podcast, that while there's all this noise about Elliott's deal and Prescott's deal, it may be Cooper that quietly, with his agent Joel Siegel in there last week, comes out of this with a deal. And if you're going to make the argument that the Cowboys are Elliott-centric and they got to pay Elliott, well, then they wouldn't pay Cooper. 
And if you're going to pay Cooper all this money, you're basically saying, no, we're not Elliott centric. Or if you're going to pay Prescott all this money, you're going to say we're paying a top quarterback. So it's not the receiver and the running back or the line. So all of these issues have to be dealt with by the Cowboys. And so here's what happens this week. You know, there's some leak about Dak turning down 40 million a year. I, I don't believe it for a second. Then there's a leak about Dak didn't turn down 40 million a year. Maybe didn't turn down 30 million a year, whatever. You know, who's putting it out? It doesn't really matter. It's team or league or agent, whatever. I always look at that as roll my eyes, whatever. You know, this is all the game people play to try to use the media to advance agendas. That's why I never talk to agents or teams about contract negotiations. They can't help me. They're going to advance their cause, like whatever. Okay, I get it. So, now what do I think of Dak Prescott? doesn't really matter. To me, it's all about the timing. Dak Prescott is on a rookie contract, and I say it every time when these rookie negotiations gives the team extraordinary leverage. He's made a pittance for three years. Now he's supposed to make $2 million, while players of his caliber on veteran deals are making $20, $25, $30 million. Think about the incredible value this, the Cowboys have. It's similar to the value the Seahawks had with Russell Wilson early in his career. So they have gotten extraordinary value. Will they get it another year at $2 million? Well, they will if Prescott turns down the deal that they're supposedly negotiating. If he doesn't turn it down, he's going to take the money they put in front of him. And the Cowboys are smart. They'll put up a major bonus in front of Prescott, who's making $2 million. So say they offer him $25, $30 million bonus. Who's going to turn that down? When he hasn't made money, when he's making $2 million, has a chance to walk away 2019 with $30 million in his pocket. Yeah. And then what do the Cowboys do? They're smart. They're going to put four, five, six more years on that at numbers that the, the market's going to pass him by in one, two, three, four years. Of course. This is where teams play the rookie compensation so well and why it's so much of an issue. And the, the rookie negotiation system, you know, when they negotiate the, the CBA, it was like, yeah, these guys, Sam Bradford, Mark Stafford, they're making way too much money. Well, that's great. But why limit it on the back end, too? And that's real the problem with that they've done to the rookie system. They've limited it on the back end. Yeah, they have a player performance escalator, gets them up to $2 million or whatever it is. It's not enough. <laughs> it's not enough. You know, that's what Prescott's at, that player performance escalator. I mean, so is he going to make $40 million a year? Of course not. Is he going to make $30 million a year? I doubt it. He may make $30 million this year if he takes a deal, but I don't think it will average $30 million. And then, of course, if you factor in the $2 million to whatever he makes, it's going to be closer to $25 million, right? It's not going to be $30 million. And, of course, the spin's going to be new money. Well, new money, you're coming off $2 million, so you've got to factor in that you're making $2 million. So if you add on four years or five years, it becomes a six-year deal. You basically tie the gap for the prime of his career by waving this money in front of him. So Dak Prescott will not make $40 million average. But if he waits, maybe, and this is what I say all the time, NBA players know how to wait. They don't get snowed by the injury thing or the risk. And I know NFL is a riskier sport, but 
NFL players just jump. Now, the other part of it besides the injury risk, which I think is very real, is the franchise tag. So, yeah, I get it, Dak. You're going to take a deal just like Russell Wilson did, just like Carson Wentz did, just like they all do, Aaron Rodgers, because you really don't have one or two years left. In Rodgers' case, it was two. Ryan won, Wilson won, Wentz won. You have the franchise tag out there. That's why it's such a weapon in negotiations for ownership. And this is what happens. So what we have now is Dak, if he doesn't take a deal, I would be very impressed. Because even if he, you know, they'll be a good team. He'll play well. He won't play great. He won't be all pro like Mahomes or Rodgers, but he'll play well. And then we'll look at, okay, now... Now he's got some leverage because now instead of his starting off point being $2 million, he'll be in franchise tag land because you're not going to let him get to the free market. And his starting point will be $25 million, So now you wave $30 million in front of him. That's not so good. Now you got to wave $45, $50 million in front of him to get him to jump because he's off a $25 million tag rather than a $2 million rookie deal. That's where we see some value to waiting. The question becomes with Prescott, same question I asked with Wilson, same question I'll ask with Goff, Mahomes, Mahomes the big one, can they wait? Kirk Cousins waited, he only waited because the Redskins never gave him a serious offer, but can they wait? Because if they can wait, ah, the deals are being offered now or in Mahomes' case being offered next year. They're going to seem paltry. So can Dak wait? I think Dak could approach $40 million. Yes, I do. Not in 2019. Maybe in 2020. And if he gets the tag and plays on it, then he can get that number in 2021. So this is where we are when we talk about contracts. It's You just have to be able to wait. Because teams are smart. They're taking advantage of this rookie compensation system. The Cowboys have done that already. And that's where we are. It's unfortunate, but it's where we are. Okay, that's my take on Dak. We haven't talked about Ezekiel Elliott. He's not in there. Melvin Gord's not in there. Jadavion Clowney, an unsigned franchise player, not in there. But they'll all be there. They'll be there. You know, I'm saying here on August 13th, We will have no holdouts come September. Zero. Okay? Zero. Now, will we have contracts? I said this last week. You know, I say it about Michael Thomas. Careful what you wish for. The holdout, the contracts these holdouts are going to get are not going to be what they want. Michael Thomas gets a deal 45 over three. Well, Sammy Watkins and Allen Robinson a couple years ago got 48 over three and they'll be free agents. Thomas has three more years after 45 over three. So is that a great deal? No. Okay, so is Elliott going to get a deal? Yeah, maybe. Maybe 12 a year. I don't know. Guaranteed 20, 25 over two years. Okay. And then we'll see. Gordon, same thing. Maybe 20, 22 over two years. Then we'll see. Not the deals they want, but they force this. They force this. So the team can say, here's your deal. Take it. Millions and millions of dollars now, not what you would get if you waited. Or, you know, you can come back on your rookie contract, or you can stay in Cabo or stay whatever. 
The team's going to move on. Holdouts aren't going to work. Now, Clowney, of course, is making a huge number. You know, he should show up week one, make the big number. Whether he's in shape or not, they're going to pay it. So he can work the system a little better. But, again, Clowney's being restricted, too, by the franchise tag. Rather than make this, you know, 60, 70, Khalil Max, $70 million guarantee, he's making whatever, $18 million guarantee, and goes on from there. Okay. That is my rant about Dak Prescott. There's no sports team that I'm a diehard fan for. I guess still the Packers. You know, still the Packers, of course. But because 10 years, it's hard to get out of my system. But, uh, you know, I always appreciate rivalries. Rivalries are great in sports. There's now a show from Wondery called Sports Wars. Tells the stories of some of the greatest sports rivalries of all time. There could be the, the Nadal Federer. I love those two guys. They battled on the courts from greatest players of all time. But what happened off the courts? What about the conflict between Shaq and Kobe? It's generated all those NBA championships, but there was stuff off the court that we've heard about, but let's actually hear about. There's a new season of Sports Wars. It's about two college football rivalries, Oklahoma versus Texas, Georgia versus Florida. Even if you didn't even go to these schools, not know much about it, the history of these robberies is so intense. So I know you don't want to miss these stories. Stay tuned to the end of the business of sports and hear a clip from Sports Wars. It's time to hear from you. If you've got a question for Andrew, leave him a voicemail at 484-416-5654. And our question is from Brian in Las Vegas. Hi, Andrew. Um, you might be answering this on your uh, branch rant earlier in the episode, but if not, I'd be interested in your thoughts on the news today that the NFL will be teaming up with Rock Nation Sports, Jay-Z's company, to help coordinate the Super Bowl halftime show, um, co-produce it. I just wonder if there are any, I guess, um, model rules or conflicts with uh, professional responsibility of having an agency work with the NFL on that. I know that you've spoken before about when you were advising for the Eagles, you had to, uh, you couldn't be a player agent with them. Um, with NFL. So interested in your thoughts on that, just kind of any conflicts or anything like that. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great question, Brian. And I was going to put in my rants, but I saw you had a question about it, so we can do it here. Listen, the news that Brian's talking about is the NFL and Jay-Z's firm Rock Nation are hooking up, ostensibly really about uh, fixing the halftime shows and, you know, getting the best acts for halftime because, of course, Jay-Z and Rock Nation are tuned in much better than the NFL to the top acts in music of whatever genre it may be. So an impressive coordination there. You know, it's obviously going to be bigger than that. There's going to be some kind of uh, synergistic activities going on. NFL trying to be, lack of a better word, cool and hip and getting involved with Jay-Z is going to bring them that audience. And, you know, again, the NFL is not seen as as cool as the NBA, this may be a way to get there with Jay-Z. The, the other issue is what Brian talked about, and that's what I'll talk about for a second, is sort of they're an agency. So they represent athletes, basketball, football, baseball. Uh, of course, baseball, of course, Jay-Z representing uh, Robinson Cano in that huge deal with Seattle a few years ago. So the other part of Jay-Z and Rock Nation joining with the NFL that Brian's really asking about in the question is their agents. You know, and I've talked about my experience when I 
was an agent. When I got out of the business the last time, it was Ricky Williams was my watershed client of my career. And of course, he left me for someone named Master P. And so I lost Master P. I mean, I lost Ricky Williams to Master P. And of course, Master P becomes Ricky's agent. I move on to the Green Bay Packers. Master P didn't last long in the business. Jay-Z, I thought right away, was going to do better and of course has. So they have football, baseball, basketball players. They have baseball, of course, well-known with Robinson Cano a few years ago. $200 million deal. Jay-Z was part of that. Basketball, they've been involved with a lot of big players. In fact, I um, I was involved with Josh Hart at Villanova. And when he was picking an agent, he wanted to go with them. And, of course, we met them and I met all their people there. A good guy, Joe Branch, represents players up there. Of course, on the football side, you have... Leonard Fournette, you have Todd Gurley, the biggest running back contract of all, and then, of course, the biggest running back contract in terms of guaranteed uh, early money is Saquon Barkley, so they've done on that sense. So they're an agency hooked up with the NFL. That has to be a little bit cause for concern as other agencies look at it and say, is the NFL favoring that? Is the NFL going to have a role with an active agent? How about that? Something the NFL is going to have to answer at some point as they hook up with Jay-Z and Rock Nation. I do think, you know, it's okay from my end, again, now in the agent business, but I do think uh, it's going to raise some questions. And the NFL, there may not be no hard and fast rule on this. Of course there isn't. But, oh, and that just makes me realize I'm going to have to address the Rich Paul rule too. I'm going to do that in a minute. Um, the... It's the appearance, right? So NFL is always concerned not only about hard and fast rules, but the appearance of impropriety and the appearance of what what is going on. So what they've got to be careful with is how they frame this partnership with Jay-Z and Rock Nation. If they want to frame it about the music side only and getting acts for the Super Bowl and getting acts for some of the other big NFL events, which are now going to be in places like L.A. and Vegas, as well as New York, that's fine. But people are going to raise the issue of Jay-Z being an active agent, not only in basketball and baseball, but in football. And all these NFL players, again, like Fournette, like Gurley, like um, Saquon. So we'll see what happens there. And that's something to, to sort of look out for in terms of what's going to happen with that. Okay, one more sponsor read, then I want to get to the Rich Paul rule. And my sponsor read is, of course, about Bet Online, our sponsor. Now we're deep in the heart of August. We've got NFL preseason football. It's happening. There's only one place that has you covered, and it's a place we trust. It's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag. Use that promo code PODCAST1. Get your 50% welcome bonus. We got it all going on now in August with baseball, successful teams like Dodgers, Cubs, Yankees, Houston. And then, of course, preseason games. I'm going to Baltimore to see the Packers at Baltimore this week. we got Dallas at the Rams, Saints at Chargers, Kansas City at Pittsburgh. Some good games. So don't sit on the sideline. Get on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code PODCAST1. 50% welcome bonus. Uh, BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. So that'll lead me to my final rant, and that's going to be about Rich Paul. Listen, The NCAA comes out with this rule that talks about agent certification. They're not going to certify agents who don't have a college degree. And the Twitter mob came out in droves, led by Rich Paul's most famous client, one of the most famous people in the world, 
someone who never was under the governance of the NCA because he never played college basketball, LeBron James, who called it with a hashtag right away, the Rich Paul rule, that somehow, some way, the NCA was biased against Rich Paul, I don't know if they were or not, and getting in on the action with their players. To me, the whole idea of NCA certification seemed odd to begin with, because what we're talking about is, you know, who are they to certify agents? Now, I know they have some governance over who comes in and out of their schools and professionals and what the rules are for amateurs. But it's the NF, as I know so well, the NFLPA certifies NFL agents. The NBA PA, led by Chris Paul and LeBron James, certifies NBA agents. So the NCAA, in response to this Twitter mob, LeBron James, everyone sort of accusing them of this overreach, what do they do? They've amended this rule, never referring to Rich Paul or the Rich Paul rule or the college rule, saying that either a degree from college or or certification by the NBA Players Association, which, of course, Rich Paul has. You know, it's interesting in the NFLPA rules, we had to certify that we have a graduate degree, which, of course, I do as a law degree, or there's a provision for seven years of serious experience in negotiating, which my partner and the leader of Vayner Sports, A.J. Vaynerchuk, of course, without a graduate degree, he has and was allowed to take the test and, of course, pass become a certified agent. Rich Paul will be allowed to recruit NCAA players, of course, now because he is previously certified by the NBA PA. And, of course, Rich Paul has a roster of clients that is second to none of any NBA agent. You can say it's from LeBron, whatever it is, but it's LeBron. It's Anthony Davis. It's Ben Simmons. It's Draymond Green. Just got a $100 million deal. So these are the kind of clients he has, and for him to be restricted from NCAA campuses for whatever reason seemed odd, but that was amended. So we have the Rich Paul Rules Part 2 Amendment, which says even though he doesn't have a college degree, he's NBA PA certified, so he's fine to go ahead. Okay, that'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports podcast. Really appreciate the rankings and comments on Apple Podcasts iTunes, wherever you hear your podcasts. Appreciate my extraordinary producer, Brian Neal, and appreciate all of you following me on Twitter, at Andrew Brandt. That'll do it for another Brandt's Rants edition of the Business of Sports. Hope you've been enjoying them. Lots to rant about lately. And I'll be back next week, maybe ranting, maybe not, maybe a guest, with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at rostucker.com or wherever podcasts are found. It's October 27, 2007. Mark Richt, Georgia football's head coach, strolls across the turf of Municipal Stadium in Jacksonville, Florida. In just 30 minutes, his Bulldogs will kick off against the Florida Gators. And for once, Richt is brimming with confidence. Both teams are now 5-2, so neither is really in national championship contention. But for Richt, this is still the most important game he's ever coached. 
It's chillier than usual today in Jacksonville, the city that's hosted pretty much every Florida-Georgia game since the 1930s. Jacksonville is supposed to be a neutral game site, but it doesn't feel that way to Richt. It's in Florida, for crying out loud, and a game called the Gator Bowl is played here. How could it be neutral, Richt thinks, as he looks up at a sea of orange and blue Gator fans. The Gators brought the Bulldogs to heel in five of their last six matchups. It's given Florida a huge mental edge and made the buttoned-up Georgia coach desperate enough to do something crazy. At least for him. Something with swagger, maybe a little arrogance. Something to get some fire in his squad's belly, even if it pisses off some football purists. Something, in other words, very un-Mark Rick-like. In seven seasons at Georgia, Richt has built a reputation as a man of faith whose quiet decency stands out in the cutthroat world of college football. For him, it's simple. You win with integrity. You lose with integrity. It's the Georgia way. That's what makes this, right now, the most off-the-wall moment of Mark Rick's entire career. As kickoff approaches, Rick makes his way back to the cramped locker room, stands before his players, and reminds them of his plan to snap their losing streak. He tells them, if you don't get a celebration penalty after our first score, you'll all be doing early morning runs. Welcome to Jacksonville and the 75th encounter at this site between these two better rivals. However, you need two to compete if you're going to have a real rivalry, and Georgia has lost, as we said, 15 of the last 17. Almost nine minutes into a scoreless game, with Georgia facing third and goal at the Florida one-yard line, star running back Noshawn Moreno takes a handoff and jumps over the pile of linemen in front of him. Moreno up over the top, Georgia, touchdown. And here comes the entire team, watch this, for excessive celebration. We may have 15 hankies in the air on this one. I can't believe this. This was planned. This was absolutely planned. Mark Rick decided that he is going to try to fire his team up. He's tired of Florida having the psychological advantage. He's willing to give up the penalty. Nearly every Georgia player on the sideline rushes the field. Penalty flags fly in every direction. The CBS cameras swing to the other sideline, anticipating a reaction from the Gators. Tim Tebow, Florida's phenomenally talented sophomore quarterback, looks confused. So does Tebow's coach, Urban Meyer. Meyer is frantically waving his Florida players off the field to avoid pointless penalties. Meanwhile, Rick takes it all in happily and knows his plan worked. The Gators are rattled. As the second half unfolds, Georgia still doesn't give away its lead. Here's Stafford. Marino. Georgia, touchdown. The Bulldogs match every Tebow touchdown with one of their own and win the game 42-30. For the first time in years, the Florida-Georgia game lives up to the hype. A rivalry that's been uneven in the last decade is incredible once again. Georgia's full-team touchdown celebration quickly gets a nickname in the media. The Gator Stomp. Richt is thrilled, but he's created an unexpected new problem. While he made the rivalry competitive again, he also just encouraged Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow, and the entire Florida team to spend the next 364 days plotting their revenge. That was just a preview of Sports Wars. To hear the rest of the story, subscribe to Sports Wars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now.